Poor Boy Presents Confabulous Articles Volume 2 Parking Garage I wasn't planning to die. I'm bleeding. Here? Well, that's how it felt. You wake up in the morning and... Oh, yeah. She left. You know what movies don't show? When someone leaves you, the pain just goes on and on and on until it's almost downright boring. Monday morning. Gone. Tuesday morning. Still gone. Wednesday morning. Still gone. Hey, Cameron, how's it going? Great, man. Yeah. See you at the game or what? Sure, yeah, see you there. I'm bleeding out here and there's no point in anything. No point in this, no point in work. There's no point in play and I can't stand this. I can't stand it. Kill me or set me loose, but I can't bear this flat, gray agony that just runs all the way to the horizon with no end anywhere in sight for another day. Kill me or set me loose. You gonna pick me up? Sure, man. See you on Saturday. I can't stand this. I can't get to Saturday. I can't get to the end of the day. Guys don't talk like that. See you then. I wasn't planning to die. I'm not proud, and I'm not saying it's a reason, but sometimes you just need to forget who you are for a little bit. And if you can buy that in a bag, well, then why not? You know, I happen to like to get off my face a little bit. No harm done, and I was feeling the weight right then. I'm not making excuses. I just needed to hit pause for a little while. Well, it was like a pile-up on the freeway. Turns out that once you hit pause for a little while, you don't really want to come back to the world that you just left behind. Then you find that your checking out a time or two has caused its own problems. Then those problems cause other problems, and the next thing you know, you just fishtailed that life you had into the verge. And it's sitting there, half on, half off the road, and ten other things just run into it, one after another, and now you're literally four levels underground in a parking garage with what feels like a broken jaw and water rising all around you. Cameron. Granny. Ella? Well, who else is it going to be? I am obviously high as a kite right now because there she is. Coming down the ladder into the dark, I see my Granny Ella from Scotland. Hand over hand. Maybe I did die. Maybe I did. Maybe she did. I don't... You need to understand that my Granny Ella is 80-something years old and about so high and not a climber of ladders. Besides, she has no idea where I am right now. Or where I've been for the last month while I crashed my life out. I Skyped her maybe three weeks ago and, and it was fine. Well, she didn't know. She wouldn't know. She obviously isn't really here. I mean, she's at home. She's an old lady. She's at home in, in, in Scotland in her house with her sister, Granny Irene, who isn't actually my granny at all, but she doesn't have kids. And, and my granny, who, y y you have to understand this, just pretends like she can't hear a person if they ever tell her the word no. So my granny Ella insisted that I treat my granny Irene like she was my granny too, even though she wasn't at all. And when I was little, she said there was plenty of me to go around. And I don't even know why I'm telling you this. Are you going to blether all night? Or do you think you could shush for a wee minute and help me off this ladder? She's not here. Of course I'm here. Now give me a hand before I ding you in the ear. Okay. 
Yep, that's her. She's here. My 80-year-old grandmother from Scotland is here, on a ladder, in a flooded parking garage in Manhattan, during the worst storm I have ever seen. And she's threatening to hit me. It's not a threat. It's a promise. Get me down. So I lifted her down. And I'm 82. You forgot my birthday, you useless article. I'm not doing too well here. Do you know how many different parking garages there are in this bit of Manhattan? I've been all over. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. Now, there isn't much time. You shouldn't even be here. The news said the whole of lower Manhattan's going under. Brooklyn battery tunnels flooded. Everything but the Lincoln Tunnel, by the sound of it. Uh, Sorry, you came 3,000 miles to give me traffic updates? Cameron, you're a mess. You're going to die down here. We have to leave. Are you dead? Am I dead? Oh, for goodness sakes, Cameron. No, I'm not dead. I'm trying to get you out of here. I can't, listen. I I just can't. And he fainted. Just like that. Oh, I'm not daft. He was off his face on something. That was obvious. But I think the fright just tipped him over. And I think to myself, well, this is a fine to-do, Ella. Come here to help and the pair of you likely to drown. Hurricane Sandy. I'd prefer not to die at all if I have to, but I'd rather it wasn't to something that sounds like it's named after a one-woman cleaning company. He's our big to lift. I mean, look at he's twice my size. You don't think that'll ever happen when you're holding them as a baby? When he's stretched out on the floor of this manky garage, pale as a ghost, his skin cold to the touch, and his hair all stuck up on one side of his head. He's had that bit there, that curl that won't sit flat. Since he was born. First time I held him, it stuck up like that. And I says to him, Oh, hello, wee man. And I tried to smooth it down, and it sprang right back up. And I said, Well, I can see that you're going to be trouble. I wasn't wrong there. (laughs) No. His mother had cause to worry from as soon as he was out of his swaddling shawl. And she's a worrier anyways, is Stephanie. I was a... Clip them round the ear and tell them you love them kind of mum. I never thought too much about it. I didn't have to. On his worst day, my husband was twice the parent I ever was. God rest his soul. This one's been a stubborn wee head case right at the gate. Won't be told. Thrawn, stick his hand in the fire and say it's fine, just to prove you're wrong. I have a bit of sympathy with that, if I'm being perfectly honest. He's my big brother's double, this one is. I swear there are times he shakes his head or picks up a cup and it's like it's Jamie right there in the room. Oh, it twists my heart. These wee genetic time bombs going off in silent slow motion from one generation to the next. A Cameron never met him, my brother Jamie. He doesn't know how alike the pair of them are. I don't have a photo. We, we couldn't afford a camera back then. Didn't even have one when Jamie was leaving to go to the war. He must have been 18. I was only wee. Irene was somewhere in the middle. And the Germans had bombed Glasgow until the docks were just shells of factories and burning jetties and piers falling into the River Clyde. We were bombed out three times. Running from the house in the middle of the night into the freezing dark and cold diving down to the bottom of the garden or hiding in one of the big underground shelters while the world shook around us. I couldn't have been more than eight or nine that first time. The first time the bombers were overhead and the world was turned into 
just a mess of noise and mud and confusion. I remember screaming the place in, stretching my arms back towards the tenement while my dad carried me over his shoulder. He ran with me to the Anderson shelter. I wanted my teddy bear, and it was still in my bed. I was having hysterics while my dad is trying to fold me up and get me through the wee door and I had my arms and legs stretched out refusing to go in and I'm yelling, Teddy will get blown up and die! And my brother Jamie says, hold on, and runs away back up the tenement stair. And then a bomb comes down two doors away. It was like hell had come to visit. A whistling kind of skirl and then a Boom! That made you hurt on the inside. Then silence. Just a wee high pitch in my ears. Of course it was the noise of the bomb. My ears were bleeding. I couldn't hear. I can see my mother's face as clear as day. Can't hear a word she's saying, but I can see her yelling, And I'm greeting, and she's greeting, and Irene is greeting, and Dad's greeting. There's nothing more upsetting when you're wee than seeing your dad cry. I think it scared me more than the bomb. I thought the world was ending. And then, out of the dust clouds, here comes Jamie. Looked like he'd walked through a bag of flour, caked from head to foot. We twist the hair sticking up at the side of his head. He comes running down the path while the wreckage is still floating down all around us. Someone's fancy yellow curtains caught on the wind and floating down like a parachute dancing on the night air. And he smiles at me and his teeth are all shiny in his glory face. I thought my mother was going to kill him right there and then. She belted him right across the jaw. Don't you ever, I saw her say, still couldn't hear a thing. Don't you ever do that again, scut. Do you want to break my heart, you limmer, scut. I'll put you in the hospital myself. And then she burst into tears. And he cuddles her. And he cuddles dad. And he hunkers down in front of me. I can't hear you, I shouts. My ears are all funny, I can't hear anything. So he nods, all right, and unbuttons the top of his jacket and peeking out. There's Teddy. He pulls him out and gives him to me. Try not to forget him next time, he says. And I looks at the raining down clothes and curtains and sticks of furniture and the fires and the walls sliding slowly to the ground like broken bits of pastry. And I thinks, next time. After the Germans were finished with us, we'd be bombed out three times. And everything my family owned fitted in one biscuit tin. It used to hold my mother's sewing kit and odd buttons, but by the end it held everything we had. Four photos of my parents' wedding. Our ration cards. Two badges I won for spelling at the school. My mother's red ribbon for putting her hair up at weddings. And a wee china plaque with a painting of a flower on it that my mother said she never liked and wasn't that just always the way of it. 
I don't think I slept right through the night for nearly twenty years. Must have been about 1966 before I managed it. I would wake up at two o'clock in the morning, roaring at Pete to get down the stairs. Any time someone so much as slammed a car door in the night, that was me. Up! Get Teddy! Run! Of course, Pete went through the ward as well. So like as often, he was already up, staring into the dark trying to get away from dreams where his pals had been shot right in front of him. Remembering, really. He would say, oh, sorry, I never learned to do a Canadian accent. It's just every kind of awful how the back of your mind can't forget the details. You think you don't remember anything and then you dream and there it is. The exact smell of the steam from the boiling water we, we made tea in Odessa. It doesn't smell like anywhere else. You think you can't remember a body hardly at all, and then you dream about him, and there he is, pulling that exact face he would make when he inhaled a cigarette. We were both like broken vessels, full of things that we tried hard not to spill on the floor for the other to have to clean up. Pete brought my brother home, what was left of him. He'd caught this disease Jamie had, something some of them got in the Ukraine. It has a big long name, but we just called it the Sleepy. He couldn't stay awake. He looked all right, but he would always just be dovering over and dopey. You could wake him up for a minute or so, and he would know who you were and say hello, and you could get him to eat a wee thing, and then he was away again, sound asleep. Here, all sticking up on the one side. When Irene and I left to go to America in 1950, Jamie was still asleep. I'll never forgive myself for leaving him. My mother said I had to. She says, if he wakes up, I'll send you a telegram. And if he doesn't, Henny, he'd hate for you to waste yourself sitting at his bedside. I lived here for a wily, Manhattan, I worked at Ellis Island as a translator for the Port Authority and Immigration Service. We learned Russian at the school, and there were plenty of them still coming through. But uh, Irene met a man, and, well, he was a bad lot. I could have told her that. He was a bampot when he was young, and he was a bampot when he grew up. Oh, he spoke nice, but he, well, he was handy. He had a temper. So one night, when I find her greeting with a black eye, I make Irene pack a bag and we did a midnight flit. Just disappeared. We got on a train to Canada and went to find Pete. He'd written to me since I was a wee girl and well, I had his address in Toronto. It was the only safe place I could think of on this whole continent. When Pete said things would be all right, I believed him. Even when they weren't. You build a marriage on that kind of faith. Well, we did. Then we had Ryan. And he was so like Pete, you wouldn't have known that I was the mother, except that I was in labour for 42 hours and I thought I would die. <laughs> they didn't let fathers into the birth in they days. But Pete gate crashed, said to them that he took a wrong turn in the corridor. And well, now he was here, so they weren't going to make him leave, were they? <laughs> told me after that he'd been in two other delivering rooms before he found me. <laughs> I said, what did the women having babies say? And he said, oh, I think they were pretty busy. I don't think they noticed. <laughs> Just because a man's quiet 
doesn't mean he's not an anarchist in his own way. Ryan was his double. Red hair, the green eyes that look like there's light inside of them. Freckles, oh poor soul, <laughs> not a trace of me anywhere. And then they had him, this one, Cameron. I didn't know at first how alike they were. I never saw Jamie as a baby. He was my big brother, but about the time this one turned fourteen, he was messing about in the garden at my house, and he turned around with a handful of dandelions and says, Here, I picked these for you, Granny Ella. And he smiled, and his hair all stuck up at the one side, and I just had to take a breath. Jamie to the life, bright and breezy and as sure of himself as if the world was made for his amusement. I don't know if it's torture or a gift I should say thank you for every time I see him. Some days I think one way, some days the other. I've never told him. Oh, he's a wee twister. You can love them until your heart bursts, but only a dafty hands over a winning card like that to a bairn who's never been overburdened with conscience. <laughs> He was always a smart boy, but he's no... Oh, I don't know. He's no solid the way the folk in our family are. He's clever. He's kind when he has a mind to be, but he doesn't have much in the way of endurance. And then I think... Well, all the family you're thinking of, Ella Mackay, went through things you wouldn't wish on anyone, so what can you do? If he's not hard-bitten, then it's only through living somewhere that he doesn't have bombs dropping on him in the night or snipers shooting at him. And that's what we wanted for him. That's what we were fighting for. So that's just the way of it. Hey, you. You, Cameron, wake up. Wake up, Cameron. Come on, it's time to get up, sleeping beauty. I'm no dragging your soggy bahookie up there. Come on. Uh, what? Granny Ella? Now, dinny faint, Cameron. We've no time. How are you here? Who bought you your mobile phone, you half-wit? Now get up, get up. Cameron, look at that water. We need a way. For all I know, that hatch I came down up there is getting covered in debris by now. Who gave me my phone? What, you gave me my phone. I've got find my phone for your phone on my computer. You're tracking me on my phone? Granny Ella, what? If you're going to behave like an eejit, then how else am I supposed to find you? Now up. We'll be waist deep in this before you know it, and getting to Midtown won't be any kind of picnic. What were you doing down here anyway? I... I don't remember. It was a, a wild night. You were wasted, you mean. Oh, don't bother lying. Of course you were. My head doesn't button up the back, you limmer. We'll talk about it later. Now, time to go. I'm catching my death of cold down here. Why don't they make these padded jackets so they cover your bum? Maybe we should look for another way out. That's a big climb. Did you see the Poseidon adventure? Do I look like Shelley Winters to you? I don't know what that means. I don't know who that is. She does this. She tells me she's people like I've never heard of in films that I've never seen, and then she gets mad at me when I don't know who she's talking about. I told her once I'd never seen The Towering Inferno, and she made me late for work. Well, it's on Netflix. Sit down. We'll watch it new. So we climb. She's 82, and I have no idea how she manages to get up there, but I kind of climb up the ladder with my arms outside her, and she kicks me a couple times in the chest and other places on the way up, but we make it. It's a close call. But we do. It's pitch dark when we get up to the top. She takes my arm and 
Just as we're walking out onto street level, we hear this rushing, clanking noise, and I don't know, the door at the bottom of the basement level must have just given way because I swear a bunch of cars just float up into view right below us, carried up by black water that looks as solid and deep as a diving hole in the North Sea. I look at it, and the reverse vertigo of having been so far below it just a few moments ago makes my head swim. I look at her, and she says, I told you to hurry, didn't I? I wasn't planning to die. Sometimes you don't have to plan it, Cameron. There's no one like her. She'd been bad-tempered my entire life. I didn't even think she liked me. Maybe when I was a kid, but once I hit my teens, she never stopped giving me a hard time. I mean, okay, I was a pain in the ass a lot in my teens, but she never let me away with anything. All that milk and cookie stuff? My Canadian grand... Yeah, maybe, sure, but Granny Ella? Not a prayer. I said, how did you get here? The plane. Same as any fool would. Don't ask stupid questions. Keep walking. I'm freezing. But why? 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 Don't you dare. Don't you dare play the innocent with me, you limmer. Don't you bloody dare. Your mother is half demented with worry. You've been gone for days. Ever since you and your girl split up, you've been sliding into God knows what. God knows what, and so do I. I know what. Even if your mother doesn't. Don't you think we didn't have junkies in the 40s and the 50s? I know what this means. Why do you have tracking on my phone, Granny Ella? Why do you think? Because I don't trust you as far as I could throw you right now. Now wait here. And then she takes out the length of a wire from her pocket. And she says, At last, I thought we were going to have to walk all night before I found one. And she goes over to this beat-up old BMW and sticks the wire into the door and just... Pops the lock. Well, get in. What are we doing? Trying not to freeze. Get in. And she hotwires the car. Like in a movie. I can only do it with old ones. They changed the security in these in the 90s. Get that heater up. And then she reaches into the front of her padded jacket, and I am sure by this time I am hallucinating again, because she pulls out a tartan thermos flask, and she hands it to me and says... Soup. Parking Garage was written by Sandy Thompson, Ochmithy, and read by Jeremiah Reynolds at Oz Arts as part of their Artist Lounge series in Nashville, Tennessee. This has been a confabulous article by Poor Boy. www.poorboy.co.uk